The All Souls Witchy Women Podcast, Episode 2, The F Word. Welcome to All Souls Witchy Women, a fan and definitely not official podcast where we talk all things All Souls. We are three women who met over Outlander and then jumped into the All Souls world like the time-traveling witches we wish we were. If you follow our social media channels, you might have noticed that we teased this week's episode by telling everyone that we'd be discussing the F word. We asked people for their guesses on what they thought it might be. And Catherine Harris was nice enough to play along with us, and she wondered if we might be talking about family or fathers. And actually, Catherine, I think that either of those would make an excellent podcast subject. Ashley and I were hungry, so we added Funyuns and Fritos to the mix, but um, alas, <laughs> none of those answers were correct. But we're going to give Catherine bonus points for being closer to the mark than Ashley and me, who are almost always focused on food, which is why we love Diana so much. Mm. Yes. <laughs> we know it's true. Before we talk about what the F word is, I thought it might be helpful to tell you where our heads are with this podcast. Each episode, we're going to focus on a letter of the alphabet. Right now we're using Roman letters, but what we're hoping is that we run out of those and we have to move into the Greek alphabet. I work on a college campus, so I know all of the Greek letters. Trust me. Fortunately. For yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> um <laughs> So in episode one, we talked about the O word. And if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, you're probably thinking that we're the women your mother warned you about. And while that might be true, we promise that this F word is likely not what you're thinking about. But again, bonus points to you for thinking it. You're our kind of people. With all of that said, I'm Nikki. I'm Janet. And I'm Ashley. And we're hoping that you'll hang out with us for a while as we discuss fear and how it plays a vital role in Diana's story. One more disclaimer before we get started. We're going to try to limit our discussions to A Discovery of Witches, since that's the first book in the trilogy, and it's what the first season of the TV show will tackle. And we're going to try really hard, guys, but we might slip up because we've all read all three of the books. You've been warned, and if you don't like spoilers, you're just going to have to read the rest of the books already. And with that, let's talk about fear. So we, we did some... Yes? I think, I think we need dramatic mu music for that. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Some sort of like organ chords. Fear. New to the ones. <laughs> anyway, God, I jumped in. I'm. I apologize. It's fine. I'm getting hot. I had to take off my sweater. So fear. It's the fear. The fear is setting in. It's on fire. I think it is. Holy smokes. So fear is an unpleasant emotion. Oh, because we did research. We, we did research because we are learned women. We found that fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Mm. And <laughs> mm. ominous, is it not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Every time, every time I read it, and but just to have you read it out loud is like, oof. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm having fear of doing this podcast, but anyway, go on. <laughs> Second. <laughs> yeah. Just close your eyes. Don't think about it. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about last week, uh, when we were throwing around ideas about doing fear, I was thinking about how the meaning of the word fear can be changed when you add on a few letters at the end. That's what we're going to do this week. We're going to talk about what happens when you add less and more and some onto fear and how fearful, fearless, and fearsome all relate to Diana and the story and maybe even talk a little bit about how it pertains to us in our own lives. Who knows? We might get Dr. Phil on this. <laughs> yeah. 
That's impossible. When you when you had a full <laughs> glass of wine by the end of this podcast, mm. I'm really curious to see if you can do the fearful, fearsome, fear whatever all all again five times. W- one glass of wine in. I need you to do all all three real fast five times. That's your challenge. Oh my at the god! End. Is, is that like a failed sobriety test? It, well, sort of, but you're not going anywhere, so it's okay. <laughs> I'm not. I promise. I swear. Okay. So why don't we jump in and first talk about fearful. And I'm going to give another definition because we can't have done all this research and not use it. Fearful, feeling afraid, showing fear or anxiety. I'm raising my hand for the anxiety thing. Um, It also can mean very great as in a fearful commotion. Who wants to start? Well, I'll jump in. So I, one of the things that fear is such a strong emotion. And I think one of the reasons why this series is still sort of gut-wrenching and sucks the readers in is because we also feel the fear along. I think it evokes our own fears about things and that that's sort of a side trip that the, that the book series takes you on. You know, Diana is so full of fear and it's so, fear is, is something that can be so nebulous. You know, it's just like, it's, I'm afraid, but what am I exactly afraid of? And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of her fear and anxiety, and one of the things that the, the book series sort of examines is is the evolution of that fear. The more she, you know, when she first starts out, her fear is just like general anxiety. I mean, they talk about how when she was a kid, you know, she she would have these sort of anxiety attacks and, they, and the doctor was just like, well, you should just go exercise a lot. You know, so she is sort of an exercise addict to deal with the adrenaline issue that comes from that. And but it's this amorphous blob. And I think that that is sort of an interesting idea to sort of, as she gets to be more fine tuned in what her fear is about, it lessens. You know, she becomes less fearful as she starts to pin down of, oh, my fear is not just about magic. My fear is about my own power. My fear is about understanding myself. My fear is about, each time she sort of peels off a layer of what the fear is, she becomes better able to handle it. Absolutely. So, you know, so that's kind of interesting to me overall with what her anxiety. Yeah, I like that. That resonates with me a lot, Janet, because when I read it, I couldn't tell the first time through when I read it. And of course, as we noted in our first podcast, the first time you read anything through, you're reading it with very fast fingers moving through those pages because you're just so anxious to get to the next point in the story to figure out what's going to happen. So when you have the opportunity to go back and reread, you can really soak up more of the details. And the second time going through it, I feel like I'm, I'm zeroing in on a lot of areas where I'm like, what is this? Is this because she's scared she's going to hurt someone? Is this because she is um, just doesn't know? She doesn't know what she doesn't know. And those things are scary to her. Is it, you know, just kind of to your point, like breaking it down and as she peels back those layers, she's able to, to tackle it further because I was sitting there and I was like maybe channeling some of my own, you know, times I've been in therapy where they're like, are you sad because of things that the first time someone explained to me the different, the, you know, the difference in definition between depression and anxiety and that depression is being sad about things that have already happened and anxiety is being sad or fearful about things that have yet to come that may not even come, oh my God. the idea that they could come. And that provided me so much like power over feelings that I had because you're able to bucket them off and go, okay, I don't even know what is in the future. But I, I realize now that you're telling me I'm only sad because of things that might happen that are maybe in my control or out of my control. But what are those things? And it's less about what what's happening right now or what's already happened and 
like that anxiety and the way it manifests itself. So when I read this and the way you just described it, Janet, it really resonated to me because I'm like, I get, I get it. I get it. I mean, her, obviously I don't have struggles with, with magic (laughs) and threads flying out of my (laughs) fingers and whatnot, but you know, just that fear of the unknown. And if you step out of your comfort zone and kind of accept that next level or take that risk, what, what does that mean? Yeah. And to be, to be fair, I mean, she has reasons to be fearful, fearful. I mean, her parents, you know, had this horrible death and, you know, and it happened when she was very young. And while it wasn't entirely clear to her what happened at that point, it becomes more clear to her, but she does know that they've died. And when you lose somebody like that, that, you know, has to change sort of the arc in which, with which you look at the whole world. And also she has some fear that if she allows herself to use magic, she'll always use it which is kind of, is interesting as a, I mean, she wants to be honest in her work. She wants mm-hmm. to be honest and have her accolades be well-deserved because she actually did the research and came up with the, the innovative theory and, you know, put in the hard time. And, you know, you got to have to give her kudos for sort of saying, all right, well, you didn't just want to pull a bewitched and like, you know, do your do the housework by twitching your nose or whatever, right? I mean, that's a oh, good thing. Well, oh, seriously, yeah. I was having some moments while while you were both were talking about that because that is all very meaningful to me and and some of the things that that I've experienced as well. And the <laughs> the, the anxiety is about things that haven't happened that you're afraid will happen. And I can't remember now if this is in the book or if I've just sort of conjured this up in my head, but I I think there was always a feeling that maybe she had something to do with her parents' dads. Oh, mm -hmm. even even before she learned more about Ashmole and all of that stuff, even, you know, when we first met her, I, I think there was some sort of uneasiness that she had that maybe it was because of her. But isn't that what happens? Isn't that what happens with us? When you don't know, you make your own stories and they can also be, they can be more scary than what actually happened. Oh, about 12 times a day I do that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, And and that's one of the reasons why I love this story and why I love her coming to terms with all this fear so much is because it's, you know, it's, it's real life stuff. Like, like Ashley said, you know, I don't have the magic to deal with. I don't think, but yeah, you know, that, These are all emotions that we have to deal with. And I don't know whether this is better placed here or in another place, but one of the things that I loved was when she had the moment in the library where she, everybody out and and she stood up to everybody and Mm -hmm. she assumed that everyone was afraid of Matthew. And he says, no, they're they're afraid of you. Mm -hmm. And I just thought about some times in my life where people have said you were brave and I think, well, no, I'm just acting to protect someone or something that I love. A lot of the things that she does as she works through this fear, she takes these actions and they aren't done because she's thinking consciously. It's just out of sort of that mom instinct. I think I became much braver when I had a kid because I had something to protect. And, you know, I've done and said things to protect her that I, I never imagined would come out of me. I didn't think about them before I did them. I just did them because that's what you do in that moment. Well, and she does that too, as she becomes sort of, she falls in love with Matthew in, and also just that whole description with the link and the chain. And just, I thought that was so, so well done, but the more she, you know, 
that's where she gets a lot of her bravery, which I think is similar to a mother. And it, you know, you find somebody, something that you love more than life itself, and mm, you absolutely. take on these, you know, take on these characteristics, which en- enables her to overcome her fear to move into action. Actually, Matthew says, "I've seen courage like yours before from women mm-hmm. mostly. Men don't have it. Our resolve is born out of fear. It's merely bravado." I so love that quote. I do too. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, and yet. I think, you know, we talk here a lot about Diana and her fear, but, you know, Matthew is fearful. He is, he's afraid he's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. He's afraid he will, won't be able to um, hold himself back from her if he goes into one of his blood rage slash feeding desires, right? So he holds back his true emotions for a period of time because he's afraid and he constantly tells her, like, don't trust me. Mm-hmm. Don't trust a vampire and don't trust me. And it's only as he lets go of some of his fear that he's able to sort of become more true to himself as well and enable their love to grow because he learns that perhaps his fear is not as great as he thought it was. Or that or or with that understanding of the fear and what it is, it enables it, it lessens it perhaps, but or it just makes it more manageable. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting. So it can be a way of eliminating bad behaviors. It can have a positive side in that if you use the fear to a better self-understanding, you can overcome the things that are holding you back. So Diana is spellbound, but she also has tremendous fear associated with her power. And as she starts to have a better understanding about that, she becomes more her true self. And, you know, Matthew has certainly has strong beliefs and understandings of how vampires operate and is smart to tell people to be fearful of them. But as he gets beyond sort of using fear as his only sort of resource for action, I think he becomes a more complete person. You know, I think what's interesting as you say that is Matthew is someone who has had a lot of time to lean into the power of being a vampire and what that means and what the repercussions of it, if it, if all of that, um, all that power that he holds goes too far. So he's got fear that exists from that place. And Diana's is a fear of exists, you know, that she doesn't know what she doesn't even know. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. As I said before, like, she has this power. She doesn't know what lengths it could take her or what repercussions it could have. He has existed in a place where he has seen what, you know, what can happen with him as a vampire if his, you know, his blood rage goes too far, if his, you know, love or attachment to something goes too far in a dangerous direction. Whereas she's got fear from a place of just the unknown. His is from a place of known. But what I love is that he still is challenging her to accept it to just be who she's supposed to be. And everybody in her world seems to agree with that. I think one of my favorite quotes in the book um, that I highlighted was on the, one of those, one of those nagging aunt phone calls that she gets in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. I love those nagging aunt phone calls and the messages. (laughs) And there was one um, that she's locked in when she finally admits that the reason that all this has taken place is because she inadvertently like called up Ashmole 782 and didn't realize what the power of that would be. And Aunt Sarah just ends the call by being like, this is what comes from avoiding who you are, Diana. You've got a mess on your hands and it's all because you could have thought you could ignore your heritage. It just doesn't work that way. And I loved that because it was like, Mm -hmm. you can do what you want to deny who you are and who you're supposed to step into and become, but it only creates more of a mess than you're probably already fearful and anxious might come from doing so. And I loved that. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a strong section, and I do think it speaks to this this whole idea of fear and sort of where you can try to better understand yourself from it. Except if you succumb to it, then you can't. And I think one of the things here is power is fearful. Power creates fear. It makes me think of Batman. Mm-hmm. What was it? With great power comes responsibility, Spider-Man. or whatever yeah. that quote. Spider Man. Yeah, I knew you would help yeah, me. But there. you had the quote <laughs> right. With great power comes great responsibility. Right, but I and I think the idea of having power and not knowing how much power you have is a frightening concept. And again, it comes from that not knowing, but because power, you know, especially when you think about all of the options of what Diana's power can be, wind, seeing the future, flying, talking to ghosts, making fire, water, like spells, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's intriguing to me. I will say I understand why she holds it at bay. And she's doing all the running, all the running and rowing and yoga and everything that she can do. Um, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie to keep down anxiety and keep mental sanity. So I get that. But there is a piece of me that's like completely intrigued as a child or as a teenager, even as a young adult, that you're not like, oh, my God, look at this thing I can do. <laughs> like, Let me get out in a field somewhere that it like doesn't seem like it's going to be harmful and give it a try. I know why she doesn't. But there's a part of you that when it's not yours, you're kind of like, God, imagine if you saw that happening. Imagine if you were circling water around your head. It would be really hard not to tinker with that and want to try and see what it does. There was this moment when the witch who came to kill Matthew when when they were still at the the aunt's house. Oh, it was Juliet. They have that whole battle with her and Diana kills her. And then she and Matthew go out after the ordeal and they look at the tree that has started yeah. to die and Diana notices it. And Matthew says to her, you know, it, it started, you know, right after this happened, Diana knows that she has taken the life from that tree and she's put it into Matthew to save his life. And he tells her that power always exacts a price. And mm-hmm. she, she just kind of says something like, what have I done? It's that moment where I think she, <laughs> while she realizes yeah. she has this power, she's still very afraid of it. And, and, she understands why she's been so afraid of this because this is what can happen. This great power that she used to save the man that she loves right. also killed something, a tree, and who knows what it'll kill yeah, next. A debt that goes with it. Right. Sure. Well, and she balked before ultimately getting Juliet too because she was afraid of She was afraid. <laughs> right. A- absolutely. She hesitated. Yeah. Right. I also love really quickly, as you were talking, um, Janet, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, other characters, it's not just Diana, and it's certainly not just Matthew and Diana, but like, how the fear of like, what, what, what does this book hold? What does it mean? And like the fear of that and all the other creatures and drives the behavior that you witness from them, which is interesting. Right. And it's the fear of, of, of not knowing it's the fear of having other people know something that could give them the hand up on you. You know what I mean? I mean, that's one of the, they're, they're trying to figure out their origins, et cetera, and understand why they're losing steam as a species. And yet it's also, you know, like, well, if we let the witches find out, then they'll lord it over us. They'll have power over us. Fear and power are really pretty tied together in ways that I I hadn't thought about before as much except with this book. I think that is actually a pretty good transition point for us to move into Fearless, which is, I don't know, maybe these are all my favorite, but I I really do think this is my favorite. And I, I also like the definition of Fearless because it's very simple. It's just lacking fear. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how Diana has a lack of fear 
when she's not thinking, when she's unconscious or when she's gone into a different state where she's she's just let go of the thoughts in her head and her and her body's just taking over. I was thinking about um, when she was walking with her eyes closed and she didn't realize she was doing it or she did realize she was doing it and she said it was just something that she had done ever since she was little. And Matthew had to point it out to her and I, I thought that that was something really interesting that she would, none of us would walk around with our eyes closed. We would be too afraid. <laughs> to do that because you could run into a car or a bus or a tree or a vampire. And it was nothing to her because she, in those moments when her eyes were closed, she wasn't thinking about anything and she didn't know to be afraid. One of the other instances that I really liked was in the library when she was first confronted by Peter Knox. You know, she stood up to him right away. Matthew wasn't even standing up to him at that point because I think Matthew was trying to assess the situation. And Diana didn't even think about it. She just, she, she stood up to him. She told him to get out, knock it off, whatever she said. And I think she did that without thinking because she was defending her manuscript. She was defending her research. And, you know, she didn't really have time to think about, should I do this? Should I not? It was just an instinct. And again, she was being fearless because she wasn't thinking. And so one of the other times I wanted to point out was that, um, was how fearless she was in her sleep when she was at the bishop's house after she was recovering from wounds that she had received at the hands of Satsu. She, she was asleep and Matthew was talking to her aunts and she woke up just briefly and said, I told you before that I can be brave enough for both of us. You know, I, I thought that was so amazing because she did, she wasn't even aware of what she was doing, but she somehow her subconscious sense that there was trouble and chaos and, and he wasn't sure what to do. And her mind, her soul, whatever knew to reach out to him and give him comfort in those moments, even though she wasn't thinking about it. And, you know, I, I think that was kind of a hallmark of her fearlessness. Well, and I think part of the development of this idea, they're both grappling with their fear, which I know we talked about earlier, but it's, I think that's interesting to sort of see how fear is manifest in both of them. And how, as they become less fearful about certain things, Matthew has to become less fearful of of how he protects Diana and his need to sort of protect her in order for her to become fearless herself, because it enables her to grow and develop. So it they it's like there's a symbiosis in sort of the development of fear with both of them and both of their recognitions of where they are fearful and how they where and how they need to become fearless. He takes her out. This is after she's had the terrible thing with Satu. And by the way, Satu, what a horrible, horrible bitch. Okay. I just need to say that. Um, yeah. God. No disagreement. Um, nope. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm sort of looking forward to her. It's like in Game of Thrones. There are a couple of key people that I basically watched the show because I wanted to make sure they died and that I wanted to make sure they died in a terrible, terrible way. Um, I'm kind of hoping, you know, that that gets depicted in a satisfying way for those of us who think she deserves it. Well, we've seen the photos from filming and there was some black eyes in real life from those scenes. So I kind of can't wait to see them. But anyway, he takes her out um, it, it, when they're at um, in Madison and he takes her out to, you know, he's like, basically, come on, suck it up. You got to start becoming a witch. And, and he basically, you know, makes her hunt him or whatever. But he's got to let her let her go of his own fear of protecting her. And that's another example of that. It's not like super well said, but there it is. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> it's the best I've got at this point. 
I'm going to be fully honest with you. Somewhere in there, you you're, you use the word symbiosis, and I was like frantically taking notes, like get smart like Janet. <laughs> so you you have a very high bar. I, to- I thought it it's a, it's such a good point. And and Nikki, to what you were saying, you know, I I love the the development further that that you know she says I can be brave enough for both of us, and yet early on she's you know I'm not brave. And he's pointing out to her, yes, you are. There are all these instances that I've seen, even in the few days I've known you, you know, or given blood in the lab and how you meet a vampire's eyes without looking away. And you stand up to the creatures in the library and you continue to go back there day after day because, you know, you don't want anybody to hold you back from what you want to do. That's all bravery. But, and she keeps saying, I'm not brave. I wouldn't be looked at as brave. And yet, Mm Here she is saying, I'll stand up for both of us and be brave, which I love because it's almost like you, you've got to go from being completely fearful to a little bit fearless to where we're headed next um, to, to, to really kind of go through that, that journey. I also love the idea you mentioned of people just get out of their head. You know, when you're so in your head, it, it almost yes. is our own worst enemy to, for us to do anything you know, because we're, we're kind of just stuck in our own thoughts. And it's when she is not really conscious of them or aware of them that suddenly she's able to, to leap out and do things that she wouldn't do if she were aware of it, because she's at least initially, because she's in her head and she's overthinking it. And then when those moments when she's not is those moments where she steps out and is, you know, really brave. It's one of the ways to be fearless, to be more present in the moment. (laughs) Mm. I mean, (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you, if you just allow yourself to be in the moment, you can be reactive to whatever it is that's happening in a way that may be more, it doesn't mean that fear isn't around or doesn't help to motivate, but you can be more aware and more reactive in a way that I think is more productive. I've always said (laughs) to my kids, (laughs) the person who survives a crisis is the person who doesn't freak out during the crisis. Like every time there's, I'm one of those mothers, like every time there's like some horrible like accident, like the car goes off the bridge and the water's coming up and the person who gets out, I'm always like to my kids, see, that's an example. You have to pay attention and just get out and then you can freak out later. But if you don't, if you freak out while you're in the car, you're going to drown. Anyway, (laughs) that is terrifying. I I can't tell you. Did your children weep when you told them that? (laughs) Probably. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times something like that's happened where I've like turned to them and said, see, that's what happens. You have to keep your cool and then you can freak out and be afraid later. So now go take your driver's test. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just throwing that out there. No, you know what? You're actually right. Because if we go back to my, you know, three copays definition that I got out of therapy about (laughs) anxiety, where anxiety is you panicking about something that's not in that moment. It's not in the present necessarily. It's really, most times it's you panicked or sad about something that's yet to happen that you're dreaming up in your head scenarios that may not even happen. So you're right. This is, if you live in the moment, you probably have less fear. I think that that is such an amazing point, Janet, because you both know I have issues with anxiety that that I've had to learn how to deal with. And it wasn't an intentional coping mechanism, but one of the things that I do is I, wherever I am, I try to be super aware of my surroundings and, and it really helps in nature 
you know, when I go and literally sit under a tree or by a creek or something. And even when I'm in a large crowd, sometimes I get panicked, but it doesn't help me to put in earbuds to drown out the noise. What I find is most helpful is to sit and listen to the voices around me and kind of tune into the conversations. And so it it almost becomes like I'm part of a movie or something. I, I hear the conversations and they become stories to me. And I think about, <laughs> I, okay, I, I guess this makes me an eavesdropper, but I think about all the stories that are, that I'm hearing around me and how fascinating it is that, you know, the person on the left is doing this thing and the person on the right is doing this thing. And that unintentionally, I never thought about it this way, but that actually helps calm me when I'm in a very big crowd. And what I want to do is run for the exits. And I know I can't. Well, yeah, there you go. I want to try that. Yeah. I, I, cause you're, cause you're right. Cause your instinct is like, just go to your happy place, put the earbuds in, listen to some soundtrack that makes you happy, put on a playlist, <laughs> but you're right. You then are still in your head. I, I like that. We probably used to be able to do a lot more of that before all these newfangled gadgets got right up in our faces. Do we have to pay you Janet for, for this therapy? <laughs> Oh. Yes. I'll- or is our friendship enough? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. have our Somali male booze. Does that do anything? Can I pay in booze? <laughs> oh, you can absolutely pay in booze. And that, <laughs> that would be a good segue into our wine break, except I have not given my trivia tip yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. We oh, need girl. that. We need some trivia. I am fearless about moving on. Well, you'll all be interested <laughs> to know. That the first known use of the word fearless was 1540. It was also the same year that the words chamber pot were first used. And I know this because Merriam-Webster online has a time traveler section, which if you click on it, it takes you to, after you look up the word, to the year that that word was first used and a list of all the other words that were first used in that year. And yes, I am that person who clicked on that because I thought, wow, 16th century, this is relevant. So I'm going to- I think that's what everybody would have thought. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> It, no. I mean, it do, well, it does. It it, it does head Just, that way. Book two, spoiler alert. <laughs> like, right. But <laughs> don't think, Just I just want everybody to know, just don't think this podcast doesn't teach you something vital. Well, since we're talking about teaching something vital, that might be a good time to break for wine. Learn a little something about wine. You might be asking yourself, why are we talking about wine? It's in honor of our favorite wine-swilling vampire family and the equally wine-loving author who dreamed them up. And Janet uh, discovered on Deborah Harkness's webpage last week that she is a wine enthusiast. And it just so happens that so are we. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we think the cool thing is that we have something that the Declaremots don't have, we have our own personal sommelier. And tonight, sommelier Bayard has uncorked a bottle or two, oh, please let it be two, of Malbec and agreed to hang around to tell us more about it. Bayard, do your thing. This week, we're drinking Malbec. Malbec is a phenomenal grape and makes a phenomenal wine. Most people probably know of Argentinian Malbecs, but Malbec originated in France in the region of Bordeaux, where Malbec is one of the premium and primary grapes in the Bordeaux region, such as Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, 
Cabernet Franc, and Petit Verdot. It is known as a Bordeaux varietal. I encourage you to go out and see if you can find a bottle of French Malbec, preferably 100% Malbec, to try next to a bottle of Argentinian Malbec. This is where you will truly see the difference in terroir. And terroir basically is growing conditions. In Argentina, in the area of Mendoza, where Malbec is predominantly grown, it is right in the Andes Mountains. And you have high temperature fluctuation from cold nights and warm days. And just like trees that grow in that kind of climate that have really thick bark so that they can withstand the temperature fluctuations, the same goes for the grape. It needs a really thick skin. So an Argentinian Malbec will be richer, fuller, darker in color. And depending on how it is aged in barrel, it may have a little bit more tannin. Tannin is what I like to say, uh, it makes it feel like you're pushing cotton balls up into your gums. It really dries out your gums. And that comes from a new oak barrel regimen, and we can get into that later. But go buy a bottle of French Malbec an Argentinian Malbec, and compare the two and see which one best fits you. Love Malbec. Go and grab a bottle today. And to that, I think we can all say cheers. 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 Cheers, lady. <laughs> I do not get the cotton reference, but that's me. No, I totally do. If I drink three glasses of red wine before I go to bed, okay, maybe four. Okay, that's a bottle, but <laughs> shh, don't tell anybody. It's, what's what's in math? It's just math. We're you know we're 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 and it w- it would hypothetically be like a Friday or a Saturday night, but I wake up the next morning and I feel like I've chewed on cotton mm-hmm. all night, and now I know why. So if I'm going to drink a bottle of wine, it should be white, not red. That's what I learned from this. Well, it's good to learn that. <laughs> Make your choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I I learned I should drink tequila anyway. <laughs> No, I like Malbec, so that's good. It's the beautiful thing about learning. It means different things to different people. True, true. I actually didn't realize so, that it came out anyway. of any region other than Argentina, so that was cool. I didn't either, and now I am I am absolutely on the hunt for French Malbec. True story. Goals. So we've had a little bit of wine. We're feeling braver now, so let's talk about Fearsome. Okay, I've said they're all my favorite. I guess I can't say that again, but I do love this one. So the definition of fearsome is causing fear, a fearsome monster or intense extreme. I just love this because I love the idea of a fearsome woman. And maybe I still have images of Wonder Woman playing in my mm. head from the Great summer. movie. Because <laughs> that was one fierce woman. I like the idea of a fierce woman who doesn't look so fierce on the outside. Right who just looks like your average everyday history professor. You know, Matthew foresees Diana's fierce nature in in the library. Um, He sees that the other creatures in the library sort of defer to her and she stands up to them in a way that they don't stand up to him. I am sure that that is something that attracted him to her. You know, he sees that right away. And he talks to Diana later in the book about how other people how other people see her, staff in the library and and other people, how they approach her and they treat her differently. And it's because they see something in here. They they see her, whether it's her fierce nature or that she's just, you know, she's, she's powerful. They sense something in her and they treat her differently because of it. I love that aspect about Diana. Mm -hmm. I I like when you talk about the fact that it's not a physical thing, right? Because most 
you know, if you think about stories, even pop culture, maybe what's in movies today, it's such a valid point that it's the superhero is someone that's meant to be of this insane physical strength, but hers is not. Hers is, yeah. hers is softer. Um, you know, she's your average history professor, as it were, with, with some, with some powers hiding underneath, which I love the part that I loved the moment. And I, I think this could be interpreted. Some of these start to become interchangeable. Is it fearful? Is it fearless? Is it fearsome? But what I loved is when Mm -hmm. she was brave enough to give the blood and they got the DNA results that you just kind of, there was like equal parts, their reactions to them were equal parts, dumbfounded, mesmerized, but also there was this healthy degree of fear of like, what sort of a creature are we dealing with? She does not even realize all that is in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there are everybody that's on her side, you know, it's, it's Matthew, it's Marcus, it's Miriam. And they're, they're kind of analyzing it, but they're all having these reactions that are like, this can't be, oh my gosh, I've never, never in the ages have we seen someone that could be possessed this many powers. And, you know, you're talking about this person who you've been just watching, running and rowing and reading and <laughs> history professor. And to know that all of that is in there just mm-hmm. waiting to come out. So there is, for me, I'm reading it and I'm thinking they've got a healthy amount of like, wow, also, this is a creature to behold, to be feared. And I love it. But to that point, when when um, Marcus and Miriam came to the bishop house to give um, to give Matthew some more of her test results, Matthew said to them, you've got this wrong. Mm-hmm. You've missed up. You've mixed up the results. Mm-hmm. This can't be right. You know, he's been with her for for well, I think it's four weeks at that point or something. And, and he's starting to get a sense of her powers. And even when he saw it on paper as a scientist, he didn't even believe that it could be true. And they knew he was going to say that so that, you know, they. They had done extra documentation so that they could prove to him that these test results really were right because, yes, a creature that no right? one had ever seen It likes before. bacon and tea and leggings and rowing. <laughs> like none, of this, none of this adds up to superpowers. Can I just say that working in a humanities department at a large university, giving me a different thing to think about in faculty meetings because now I look around the room and go, which one of you? Which one of you is it? The unassuming professor. Which of you has the magical powers? <laughs> I would actually, if you could. Um, <laughs> so here's a fun fact. The three of us and some others uh, that have gone down the rabbit hole spend far too much time on an app called Marco Polo. where <laughs> It's like a video diary message app. So if you could just start just kind of silently, kind of subtly Marco Poloing who you think in those meetings might have the superpowers and then we can maybe vote. I am on that. That would be good. You could show us a picture and then we'll say <laughs> yes, demon or whatever. Name that oh creature. My God. Well, I would like to put in a vote for uh, Isabel, who I think is just a super badass vampire woman and is so fearsome. I have loved her from the beginning, but every time I reread the book, I love her more. How many times have you reread the book? I'm in my third book reading of it. Naughty. No, the anyway. multiplier is in effect. But, you know, she shows up right when Domenico arrives. She goes to clear out the caves in the village after he's, you know, supposedly gone. She's fearless as well as fearsome. And I think that's interesting to think about how being fearless makes you fearsome. But I'm fascinated by the second half of these words, which actually has a name, but I can't think of what it is. But like fearsome and fearless and fearful and how they fix. Thank you. 
they sound like one thing, but they're actually something else. And I think that this is another example of that. She's fearless, but she's fearsome. You know, I think I just think that's I think that's an interesting point. And I and also I just needed to put in a word about it. I'm on Team Isabeau all the time. To go back to the point that you made earlier about the kids dying in the car after it went over a bridge into the river. <laughs> <laughs> That's made an impression on me. Staying calm. When when yeah. Domenico showed up, she didn't fall to pieces. Right. She had she was like, All right, this is Domenico. These are the things that I need to do to take care of this shit right now. Yeah. And she never wavered. She never faltered. She she tried to rein Diana in, which they have their own conversation about that later. But you know, she knew exactly what she needed to do. She didn't hesitate. She just did it. She took care of what she needed to do to protect her family, and the village as well. She never yells. Always, she may be like super sarcastic in her quiet voice with like the thought bubble over her head, but she doesn't, she's like very, so smart. And they turn to her time and time again for sort of the read on the situation. And I think one reason she can do that is because she's is fearless and fearsome. And so your point about her never yelling, I, we're all moms here. Have you done the mom thing where you talk slower and quieter and your kids know how angry you are? Or is that just me? That's what I pick up from Isabeau. You know, she has that very, she doesn't yell, but sometimes the low and slow talk is scarier, far scarier than yelling. Oh, this is just my family then. Okay, never mind. I have done something like that a little bit, but I'm not sure I ever reached the level of low and slow. But I have literally said to each one of my children, if you ever doubt for a specific incident, I said, if you ever doubted that I love you, remember this moment and that I'm not killing you. <laughs> <laughs> they each have one that they can fall back on as like oh my God. The, fi the final sign of my love. Did you give them that speech while driving over that bridge? <laughs> no. <laughs> <It's curious. laughs> I'm actually thinking that in our free time, we should write a parenting manual because I just tell my child, this is oh, why animals good. eat their young. That's good. <laughs> I, I say, I have said, this is on page 37 of the parenting torture book. <laughs> and the place to bring it up would be with your therapist. My pencil is furiously writing now. These are good. I just need um, the thing that I'm waiting for. I didn't inherit it. I've been working on it. My my mom, it worked on me. And I feel like maybe when I see the TV show, maybe this is what Isabel will use. The eyebrow, the arched eyebrow. My mom never screamed at me. She never raised her voice. Ooh. She just arched one eyebrow and you knew. And it was so effective that all the friends in our regular circle, oh yeah, they, she just would subtle. lean, maybe in church, maybe in the nice Catholic church, she'd lean forward, she'd do the eyebrow and you just snap to attention anywhere we were in the home, in a public setting, two friends to me, everyone knew it. The eyebrow goes up, everyone stops. Now this is the most nurturing, sweet, caring woman. And that eyebrow could just bring anybody to their knees in fear. So I hope when you talk about her not screaming, I'm like, oh, she's got that eyebrow. I bet she's got an eyebrow going. Oh, I could totally see that. I, I think Isabeau has has the eyebrow and good way for us to like circle that back after going <laughs> way off course. Oh, well, yeah, but sure. Oh, bring the knees to fear. Sure. I like it. Yep. It's just keeping us on track. You know, all that wine in me helps keep us on track. Do we want to talk more about Diana giving Matthew her blood? Just in another example of her, her, her fearsome and her ability to just like go balls to the wall when she needs to and make it make it happen. She knew exactly what to do. She did make pretty big bargain when she did that. You know, the goddess, mm. which will come out later. 
but she didn't fear it at all. Right. She knew, she knew what she wanted. She knew what she needed to do, and she just did it. Right. And I was thinking today about how when when, when she did all that, you know, we we talked at the beginning of, the, of this segment about her acting outside of her conscious mind. You know, she she says these things, she does these things when she's not fully thinking. And when I first read the book, I thought that she did that without thinking too. She she gave Matthew her blood. She made the deal with the goddess and all of that. I, I reread the book. I was rereading it over the weekend and I realized that she had the presence of mind to draw the draw the wall around her and Matthew right. so that nobody else could get to her. And and so I was thinking about it today and I thought, well, no, she she thought about that. And yeah. and I wondered if that was that was the moment where she kind of came into her power where she could consciously make these things happen rather than just hope that her subconscious would take over and help her handle the situation because that seemed to be a moment where her her conscious and her subconscious kind of combined to help her solve that particular problem. I think you're right. I think one of the ways in which you become fearsome rather than fearless is that you have more awareness of of what is what you are doing and what's re what's required. I mean, you can be fearless in that you know you've certainly heard of people. I'm, he's fearless. He jumped off the you know the the 600 foot diving board without even thinking, or right. you know, I mean. Um, but fearsome has a level of it of, of understanding and sort of self uh, awareness that gives you additional power, and I think that was a good example of that. Mm -hmm. It's why being fearsome, if you're going to rate these in sort of goals, I mean, that's the one to be because it comes with because with it comes self understanding and awareness, and and therefore true power. I was just over here doing like a silent head nod, like mic drop moment, Janet. Like, yes, that's so true. It is true. When you can kind of get acknowledge and get a hold of it, it, it puts you in a different category of these fear words that we've come up with. I'd like to channel my inner Diana at any point of any day. And, and I don't even just mean like the evolved Diana. I mean the whole from the beginning that I don't want to, you can't make me all the way to the end. I feel like my hunger channels Diana yeah, on a I, daily I, I basis. Will, I, will, I will see your hunger and uh, raise you her adrenaline problem. And I do like leggings. I do like leggings apparently as much as she does. Every time I'm like, girl, put those leggings on. She's always like, and I found a sweater and leggings. I'm like, good. That's what I find too. Flop, flop. I, I did wonder if she just has a box in her closet full of black leggings like I do, because there's got to be at least 10 or 12 pair in there. That's are highly relatable. That's all I wear. Absolutely. That might be a good place to stop. Does anybody else have any parting thoughts? I do. There's a surprise. Oh, God. My dog <laughs> whining. He does not read the podcasting sign. Anyways. <laughs> it's his desire. His desire to get to you is strong, and he's fearless. There you go. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk about that because desire and fear come up, and I don't, I don't think we're, we should necessarily talk about it fully here, but desire and fear get equated a number of times in the books, starting with the opening, you know, it begins with an absence and desire, it begins with blood and fear, it begins with the discovery of witches. And, you know, Matthew, when he was doing his All Souls tryouts, if you will, he wrote about desire. And he said, as far as I can tell, there are only two emotions that keep the world spinning year after year. One is fear, the other is desire. And then Diana references it when she's out in the woods with him and um, has had that experience with flying. And he says, why wouldn't you want these gifts? Fear, desire, I said, touching uh, softly, touching his strong cheekbones with the tips of my fingers, shocked anew at the power of my love for him. 
Remembering what his demon friend Bruno had written in the 16th century, I quoted it again. Desire urges me on as fear bridles me. Doesn't that explain that everything that happens in the world? And he then says, everything but you, there's no accounting for you. But I think that's an interesting point about sort of how desire and fear are potentially tied together. And, and it is sort of Diana's story. The way her magic works is when she wants it, she can have it. But in some ways, she's had to stop desiring things as part of what she did while she was spellbound. And, you know, do we fear what we desire? And does, is desire therefore something to fear? And I don't have any brilliant response to that, but I think it's an interesting point and something we might want to think about more because they're definitely tied together at different points in this series and probably warrant more thought process. Absolutely. So we do have more podcasts coming up and, and we haven't agreed on, on what the next letter would be. We, we talked about maybe using Scrabble tiles and just drawing one, but I don't know, maybe maybe you just drove us up to the door, Janet. Maybe it's the D <laughs> word. Damn. No. Well, we could make it damn, story. but whatever. <laughs> Anything else? That's it on my end. Ashley, any parting wisdom? I know you got some. I love you people. I love you people. I love this book so much. I love it even more now that I'm diving into it again. Janet's theory on the reread. Damn it if it wasn't right. It's so good. <laughs> it's better. I just love being here with you all and all you fine listeners. I feel like we should hug. I'm hugging you. I'm, I'm hugging. We are. Can't you feel it? Yeah, I actually. Can't you feel it? I, I, Jeez. I, I did feel something. I wasn't sure what it was, but. It's not indigestion. It's me. I'm hugging you. My parting thought is I love all you all too. But also we're excited because we have our first blog post coming up soon. And Janet is writing that post, which I cannot wait to read because I'm hoping it's more free therapy. So selfishly, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> this is such an amazing topic. So Janet's going to write about the world and why, why the world would be a better place if everyone read the All Souls trilogy, because we all need more magic in our lives. All of us need more magic in our lives. And we all need to navigate family, which is in the end what matters. So Janet, I cannot wait for this. And when it does go live, uh, you guys can read it at allsoulswitchywomen.com. I think that's going to do it for now. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us as we discussed all things All Souls. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, because we really did. And if you feel inspired, you'll leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to join in the conversation, find us on Twitter and Instagram at All Souls WW, on Facebook at All Souls Witchy Women Podcast and Blog, and online at AllSoulsWitchyWomen.com. See you soon.